Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7. Get out your Bibles for me. I'm, I'm going to try to try as your pastor to make a requirement of you this week. I don't, I don't know that I've ever done that, but I'm going to, I'm going, there's no notes. I'm sorry. No notes today. These are just deacon nominations. By the way, please get a deacon nomination list if you're 18 and a church member. Very big part of our church, very big uh, time for our church right now and how important it is uh, with our deacon nominations. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, I want to ask of a commitment of you over the next couple months, over the next few weeks, six, eight weeks. Get in your Bibles and be reading Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's where we're going to be spending our time over the next few weeks. And I think it could be so impactful if you're kind of working through the week and then we come in together and talk about what we've been reading. Um, I, I think that if you could come in a step, a little, a little bit step closer to me and me a little bit step closer to you, then, the, then maybe the ability of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord and the work of the Word of the Lord might, might be increased a little bit if we prepare a little bit. How many of you know that preparing produces? Planning produces. So I want to encourage you, just make a commitment. Maybe just read a few verses of Matthew chapter 5 today. Read a few more verses tomorrow, a few more verses the next day. If you've got a regular reading plan, go ahead and do that, but add this to it. Add this to it. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, I believe it is one of the most important passages of Scripture. And that it gives us what the Holy Spirit shows us to be the leading of the church, where the church is supposed to go. And if you look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what this is, is this is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, it's called that because Jesus gave a sermon on a mountain. We are the church on the hill. We are a church on a hill. Had somebody come to me last night and said, man, this, is such, this church has such a cool name because it literally is a church on the hill. I'm like, yeah, that's where we got it from. Church on the hill. But it's just that simple, the Sermon on the Mount. However, it's the most concise and precise presentation of what Jesus wants to show us of kingdom life. Have you ever wondered, how should my life be? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The clearest description of the kingdom lifestyle. And over the next several weeks, I want you to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Now, I had this titled this week, and I kind of felt like the Lord started giving me a little bit of a different direction. So I'm retitling this jaywalking. Do y'all get it? Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Got one that got it. Jaywalking. Walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus. We are going to be walking with Jesus, and Jesus teaches us how to walk with him. But are we walking with him? So important to walk with and like Jesus. I believe that the Sermon of the Mount could also be said it is the constitution of the kingdom of God. The most comprehensive statement that Jesus, by Jesus, on how believers should cooperate with the grace of God. Now I want you to know the grace of God is offered to us freely. But in order for us to participate, in order for us to receive it, we have to cooperate. You remember from Sesame Street, it's kind of funny with the political scene, they're talking about Sesame Street and Big Bird all the time. But do you remember? Cooperation. 
We are to cooperate with the Word of God, which means we have a part to play. Amen? And receiving the free grace of God involves more than just acknowledging the truth of the benefits that the Lord is offering to us. It's not just acknowledging it. It is participating in it. It's participating in order for those benefits to touch our mind and to form our emotion. Now, I believe the primary calling of these three chapters could be summed up in Matthew 5.48. If you got your Bibles open, Matthew 5.48, I believe this one verse is the pinnacle of what all the others point to. Jesus said here, Matthew 5.48, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we're going to spend some time on this scripture over the next few weeks, but you know what it, I believe it basically means? I believe it means that we are to walk in the light that we have. God has given us so much light and we are able to walk in that light in the same way that the Father walks in the light that He has. He walks in all light, complete perfection, but He gives us a little bit of light and we can walk successfully in that light. Do you follow me at all? Walk in the light that God has given you because the Father walks in all the light that he possesses. And you know one great thing about Father God, about Jesus, is they walk the walk. They walk the talk. They walk according to the light that they have in terms of God's plan, God's character, and God's wisdom. Now, what's so neat about this scripture is a brand new believer can walk this. A brand new believer, you walk the aisle and give your heart to Jesus today, you can walk according to God's will. What do I mean? Because they are only required to walk in the light that they have. We cannot become a PhD as a first grader. The first grader has to walk in the light that they have and grow from that. After first grade comes the next step, second grade. It's not first grade to Ph.D. Same thing in our Christian walk. God does not expect us to be scholared, perfected Christians at day one. He just wants you to say, he just wants to say, okay, you've got me. Now I want you to take this first step that you can see. What's our first step? Now, what is it that the Lord wants? And, you know, there are so many implications to setting our heart in this way, setting our heart toward how do we walk with you, God? And how do we do that? We commit ourselves to obey in, the, in, in, in specific areas. But you know what happens sometimes, even as a, a new believer or maybe a scholar, uh, uh, an aged believer, is we come up short. What happens when we come up short? What happens when we fall down? I want to give you a little bit of a tip right here. This is what we do. We admit it. And we repent what does that mean? It means we, we turn from doing it. We stop doing it. But that's not it. We ask for forgiveness. And we recommit ourselves to obeying again in that area. But that's not it. Then we press the delete button from what's behind us and leave it behind us and start moving forward again. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. And then we start walking in the light that God has given us again as a first-class citizen in the kingdom of God. Once we come to the cross again, we've messed up. We've got a way to get out of our sin. We come to the blood of Jesus. We ask Jesus to forgive us, and we walk away from it. 
turn around and walk the other direction. What happens? We fail again. We mess up. What do we do? We acknowledge it. We declare war on it. We recommit ourselves to obey. And we push the delete. And we have the confidence, again, in the present tense that we can walk in our light. That's the pinnacle. The high point of the sermon is that it would motivate people, it would motivate you to have courage that we can walk in all the light that God has given us. So how do we walk this out in lifestyle? How do we apply jaywalking to our life? How do we apply the Sermon on the Mount to our life? I believe the heart of it would sum it up into one, into one statement, and it is what, uh, what we call the Beatitudes. Have you ever heard of the Beatitudes? We're going to go over those a little bit this morning and then really dive into them over the next few weeks. What are the Beatitudes? Have you ever heard it? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. I believe the Sermon on the Mount can be summed up into these eight statements. Now these eight Beatitudes are being poor in spirit, spiritual mourning, walking in meekness, hungering for righteousness, showing mercy, embracing purity, being a peacekeeper, and enduring persecutions. It's no easy feat. No easy thing at all. But these are invaluable. Because you know what? As Jesus is giving this sermon on the mount, he's giving it to his people to know how to walk. You know what he's doing? He's saying, you don't have to aim at targets in the dark. I'm going to show you exactly how to walk in the light. How many of you are needing to walk in the light? Well, I want you to know the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, will show you to the light. Next step is you've got to step into it. Jesus just doesn't want us to acknowledge his word. He wants us to walk in his word. He didn't just give a great sermon just to give a great sermon. He gave a great sermon to help you walk out of the darkness that you're living in. I feel such, um, such an incredible, um, how can I phrase this, burden or threat? There's a threat. There's a threat to Satan, but there's also a threat to you if you grab hold of this. What I mean is there, there's, a great, there's a great awakening going to happen to you if you can grab hold of Matthew 7, 8, 5, 6, and 7. But that Satan, Satan's kingdom is, is, is about to be attacked brutally if we can walk in it. If you're not affected at all, nothing's changed. He's fine with it. Just as long as you don't change, he's okay. But would you be willing to change? Now we're going to see in the Beatitudes, one of the Beatitudes is that we're willing to change. Now you'd say, I didn't read that. Well, I'm going to show it to you as we go. But one great thing about God is God does not lead us in the dark. He leads us in the light. He shows us, have you ever had a boss that's not clear on what he wants from you and then he gets on to you for not doing it the way that he wanted? Well, if I could just have clear instructions, I would give you what you wanted, but I didn't have clear instructions, but you still want me to give you what you wanted, and I didn't get it. I've done it. I've, I've been under that kind of leadership. I've been that kind of leadership before where I expected perfection, but I didn't explain what I wanted. Do you know something about the Word of God? God is clear. God is clear. He does not lead us into confusion. He does not lead us into the dark. God is light. If you will be willing to go down this road with me, I believe you're going to, number one, see the light. You're going to have an opportunity to walk in the light. It's going to change your life. 
but nothing's going to happen if you don't participate. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, the Beatitudes. Now, each of these Beatitudes has a virtue and a blessing or a promise. You know, the word blessed means it basically happy. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. Well, that already sounds messed up. Now, the biblical view of happiness is to have a vibrant spirit. The biblical view of happiness isn't based on circumstance being easy and going well. What do I mean? If I've got a vibrant spirit, my circumstances can be difficult, but I can still be happy. Without a vibrant spirit, my, my circumstances could be easy, but I'm never happy. Do you see the difference? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus combines a very specific virtue or character trait that he wants us to be developed in, and he puts it together with a promise. And he says, when you pursue the promise and the virtue together, there will be a vibrancy in your spirit called blessedness or happiness. It's one of my favorite things about God, and I've got a lot of them, is God will tell you, if you'll do this, this is what will happen. I love knowing the reward. Why? Because it's motivation for me. It's motivation for me to obey and it's motivation for me not to sin. Because I know what's coming. I'm not going to get surprised. God tells me, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he gives me the promise. This is to be a life target. These eight virtues, to walk in the promises related to them. Now, these virtues and their promises we experience, we experience them progressively, little by little. We grow in our experience of these as we seek the Lord and commit ourselves to walk in them. However, we can diminish that experience of the virtue and the blessing by neglecting to focus on these. Church, I would encourage you to take some notes of the main points and start trying to walk. You know, so many times we get taught things in school or taught things by those over us and we don't apply them to our lives. I want to encourage you, press the apply button. Most of our problems in life, even as believers, are rooted in the neglect of these eight Beatitudes. And Jesus, the master teacher, is giving us insight. He says, do you want things in order? These eight things you've got to focus on in your life in order to have God's point of view, and for these things to work right in a kingdom way. It doesn't mean everything is going to be easy, even as we walk this out. So let's look real quickly at these Beatitudes. Number one, blessed are the, uh, let's see, I thought they were already up there, they're not. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number two, Blessed are those who mourn. You may say, man, already, this is pretty hard. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, what is that? I want to encourage you just for a minute. I don't know that it's what you think it is. It's spiritual mourning. It's so that when you walk into sin, you don't just brush it aside and keep going. No, you mourn over it. It moves you to move out of that sin. Blessed are the, those who mourn, spiritually mourn. Not just a crisis in our life. Mourning is a legitimate response. It's spiritual mourning. So as we're affected by sin, we are moved to move or to repent. The next one. Blessed are the meek. 
for they shall inherit the earth. We've gone over this. The meek is humbleness. These two works are interchangeable. Inheriting the earth means to impact it, to be involved in the government of the earth. Now, it's also of this age, the age to come, but also there's significant um, things for us to inherit today. It means that we are to influence this world, to impact this world, to have a sphere of God's government here on this earth right now as it is in heaven. We should be making spiritual impact on our nation. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I want you to know the church is not inheriting the earth right now. The world is sucking it up. I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. I, it doesn't matter how I meant it, but anyway. I'm sitting there thinking, man, I didn't mean that, but that sounded pretty good. But it doesn't sound good in church. Okay, uh, next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. <clears throat> Hunger for breakthrough of righteousness in their personal life, but also for breakthrough in righteousness in the society, in church, in ministry, and not only that, to begin to impart that into others. Next, blessed are the merciful. You know what they get? They get mercy. How many of you need mercy? Give mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I can't imagine anything more greater than seeing more of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know what peacemakers are? And it's not a gun. Peacemakers are those who heal relationships not tear them apart. They heal relationships, for they shall be called sons of God. Finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now these eight Beatitudes answer the cry of philosophers throughout the age who would say, how are we supposed to live? How do we achieve happiness? How do we achieve greatness? How do we please God? Or the big phrase that everyone has always said, what is the purpose of life? What am I down here on earth for over these next 70 years? And I believe that this one sermon that, Je that Jesus gave on the mount answers that question in a very specific and intentional way. Specifically in the eight verses, he answers those questions. And part of my goal today is to awaken your spirit, awaken your mind, to start to talk to the Holy Spirit, to start to talk to the Lord about how these eight Beatitudes need to be, need to be applied to your life. I don't think I've said this yet, but my intention from the stage as your pastor is, is basic discipleship how to make disciples and we are going to take turn the lights back on we are going to take we are going to walk in the light as we are in the light <laughs> we are going to take the sermon on the mount 
And as a church, we are going to ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us truth in how to walk our life out. Now, can I ask you, will you go with me? Will, will we not just sit as a church and listen, but will we walk? And I want you to know I will be doing this with you. I will be doing this with you. I want to walk in the light. I am tired of walking in darkness. I am tired of being confused. I am ready to know what it is that God wants for me personally, for my marriage, for my family, for my church, for our nation. And God says, if you will just follow my ways, I will show you. I will show you. So I want to encourage you. Just pray with me. Holy Spirit, teach me what it means to mourn. Teach me and empower me. Inspire me to actually do it. Teach me what it means to be poor in spirit. And help me to walk this out. And can I tell you something just for a second? The Holy Spirit has an app for it. And it works. It doesn't crash. And it's always available. And these eight Beatitudes have a corporate application for families and churches and even for society. So as we're starting to walk through the Sermon on the Mount and our awareness and our focus starts to change toward these three chapters, I want to just give a very brief overview this morning and encourage you to try to grasp the big picture, the whole roadmap of where we're going. And the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the roadmap to, or is a call to walk out these Beatitudes. I want us to pursue a hundredfold obedience, not a thirtyfold, not a sixtyfold, and they would be great, but a hundredfold obedience. What do I mean? Total obedience. Being perfect as our Father is perfect. Striving to walk in all the light that we have. Now, these eight Beatitudes, I kind of, I've heard taught is that they are like flowers, beautiful flowers in a garden of the heart. And I want these uh, eight Beatitude flowers, meekness, purity, etc., to come into full blossom in our life. And you know what the Holy Spirit would say? I will help you. You know, these eight Beatitudes define love. They define the kingdom lifestyle. And this is how spiritual maturity is measured from God's point of view. So if you're ever growing and you're, and you're trying to walk with God, every now and then take after five or ten years of trying to walk it out, look back and see, am I growing in these eight steps? Now, if you haven't noticed, I'm kind of I'm wanting to really lay the foundation today. Does it feel like I'm, I'm about to go a lot deeper than I've been going? Because we are really going to go after this. I am really going to expect... Um, I believe the Lord is expecting more from us than we're giving Him. And I think part of that has been my fault. I think that I have kind of stayed on a very basic level. Well, not anymore. We're going to dive into the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going, I'm, my attempt is to really go deep into what Jesus is trying to say to us. Because I want you to know something. I need a word from the Lord. Do you? Well, right where you sit, right here in your mind, or even if you say it out loud, Lord, I need a word. Give it to me this morning. Give it to me this morning. The good news is that whatever God, whenever God gives a commandment, there's always a promise. 
And that promise includes the enabling of us to obey the commandment. When God says, blessed are the pure in heart, you know what he's saying? I'll help you be pure. When he says, be perfect, you know what he says? I'll help you be perfect. I'll help you to walk in the light that I'll give you. There's a promise of enabling that goes with every command of God. And that's good news. Now, these eight flowers have to be cultivated. They don't automatically grow in our life. They grow progressively, but they can be diminished also if we don't focus on them. It's like watering and weeding. You know, the weeding process is a little bit more simple. We know that when we have hindrances in our lives, those have to be pulled out. They have to be pulled out. Can you identify some hindrances in your life? Well, pull them out. Something my mom always taught me and my dad about pulling up weeds, don't break them at the top of the ground. Pull them out from the root. You keep digging until you get that root. If not, it's going to come back and come back with a vengeance. We've got to remove those things. And we're going to be talking in the next few weeks about six temptations that's going to try to stop us from being successful in these beatitudes. But after we remove the weeds, that's not it. We've got to water the garden. Your garden just doesn't need to be weeded. It needs to be nourished. It needs fertilizer. It needs water. It needs nutrients to be able to grow. And I think that's sometimes the things that we miss. We can identify what our issues are sometimes, but we don't nourish our body. How many of you, when you're trying to do something healthy, you'll cut out the the fried stuff, but you don't eat anything with nutrients? You, you, need to, you need to replace one with something good. Replace the bad with something good. And Jesus, Jesus highlights kingdom activities, the nutrients that we are to put in the garden. We can't just pull the weeds and expect the flowers to grow. We've got to put in nutrients. And you know what these nutrients are? There's five kingdom nutrients that I'm going to give you this morning that we're going to dive into after we go over the, the Beatitudes. It's prayer. It's fasting. It's giving. It's serving. And it's forgiving. You want to know how to, how to put nutrients into your, into your ground? What are we trying to do here? When we put nutrients into the ground, do you remember how we've read about the Word of God? And when the Word of God comes to you, you can be certain types of soil. And if we're not careful, we can be hard, stony, or thorny soil. That it just does not get in. Well, these five things will help that Word get in. Prayer, fasting, giving, serving, forgiving. So big. I, I, really, I really can see a, a huge thing to happen in this church if we can grab hold of this. The finished work of Jesus on the cross provided so many benefits and they're free. He loves us and he forgives us. But there's so many things that he still wants to do through us in life. And even though these benefits have been done for us, in order for that work to be released in us, we have to cooperate with God. We have to cooperate with his word. The table's been set, but nobody's eating. The provision has been made, but no one is taking that provision. We're Christians, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but when we sin, we don't repent. When we offend someone, we don't ask for forgiveness. And when they offend us, we don't forgive. The church, not the world, the church. 
We wonder why we are where we are. I believe these are called spiritual disciplines. Grace is freely provided, but it requires our cooperation with it. Now, if we don't respond much, we'll still go to heaven. But in the resurrection, we'll see all the benefits. And I don't want to live down here with a dull spirit, claiming that everything is free, but never entering into what God really has for me here. Only to find out when we get to heaven that everything's alive. I want to live with a vibrant spirit now. I want to understand God now. I want to live in the fullness of what he has for me now. So as I, as I begin to wrap things up a little bit, let's just quickly go back to these Beatitudes. These are character virtues. And there's a promise that as we grow in each one that vibrancy will increase our spirit. And there's a blessing in the age to come as well as, as, well as a blessing now. Now I want to encourage you. If you're, if you're, if you're battling a, a downed spirit, if you're battling a depressed spirit, if you're battling rejection, if you're battling things in the mind, if you will begin to grab hold of this, you are going to come out of it. Better than any pill, better than any shrink, better than any therapist, God will deliver you and begin to show you light because right now you're living in darkness. I'm not even trying to say that you're living in sin, but you're living in darkness. The Lord wants to rescue you and he wants to start today. That's why I'm asking you, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, start now. The Lord will begin to do his work on you whether or not I'm given the sermon. But you've got to start to go after it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Not if you come to your church and they preach a good sermon, then I'll deliver you. No, you seek after it, and you'll find it. You don't have to have a pastor. You do. God's coming back for his church. You got to, God's coming back for his church. You need to be in church. You need to have a pastor. But you don't have to be a, have a pastor to get delivered. It's based on your connection, your personal relationship to Jesus Christ. And he will start to deliver you now. God's not a God of, he's a God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But he's a God of fixing, beginning to heal you now. What are you battling? I believe we're about to start walking into this. And if you will start to press the apply button this week, you're going to start to come out. There is no greater battle than that battle of the mind. It's where sin starts. It's where it's conceived, is in your thoughts. Hallelujah. God's about to deliver some people, and I, I'm excited. Number one, poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Again, I've told you that, that that's a poverty-stricken in a spiritual sense. What does it mean, poor in spirit? It means we need God. We begin to recognize who really we are and who really God is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that say, I need a Savior. Blessed are those who are spiritually in need. That is me. 
we are not we, that we see our great need and that God has more for us than we're experiencing. The way to become poor in spirit is that we learn what God wants us to do and through us. Do to us and through us. And when our vision increases with respect to what God wants us to do, to us and through us, we see the gap between what God wants to do with us and what we are actually experiencing. Can you see just with that statement, what he's saying is, when we really allow God to move, he's going to shine a little bit more light. Show us the gap between us and him, and us begin to realize, oh, I need you, God. I did not even see that. I have been living in this circle thinking I was in the light, but I'm not in the light. The blinders come off and say, God, I am poor in spirit. I don't know my next step. You say, wow, there's a big gap between what God wants for us individually through our ministry in the church and society and what's actually happening. I want to see change. Things are not like they're supposed to be. They are not good enough. And we don't have the power in ourselves to correct it. So, Lord, we need your breakthrough. And we're reaching for more. We're reaching for the fullness. All of a sudden, we see a little bit more light. The next one. Morning. I've already talked about this. We feel the pain of the gap and we say it's not okay. We refuse to be comforted by any substitute. We mourn our sin and we move from it. Number three, meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Remember when a horse is bridled and saddled and trained, it's said to be meek. It uses the full force, the full force of that horse under the restraint of the bit and the bridle and the reins. The power is not diminished, it's focused. And when we are meek, that means that our power is restrained under the Holy Spirit's values and direction. That's what meekness means. We come under the yoke of the Holy Spirit's leadership. You don't lose your strength, but you use your strength differently. You aim at different targets as he directs us, just as the rider would a horse. You know something else that meekness is? It's a teachable spirit. You know, I have been in a place in my life where I have not been teachable, and I have been around people that are not teachable. And the frustrating thing is there's nothing you can do for them. And when I got to that place, there was nothing anybody could do for me until I would humble myself and recognize how much I was in need of help. Meekness is a teachable spirit. Do you know those that are not teachable? The Word of God says they're fools. I'll leave that, at, I'll leave that there. Number four, hunger and thirsty for righteousness. You know, walking in the grace of God is not passive. Walking in the grace of God involves pressing into God, hungering and thirsting. It is not passive. Church, your, your walk with God is not supposed to be passive. People are attracted many times to the church because it's passive. I don't have to do anything. That is not what Jesus Christ died on the cross for. 
for us to just sit back and bask in the shade and watch life go by. Nope, Jesus wants to change you, and he wants to change you radically. You know what he calls that? Transformation. Be transformed, be conformed, be changed by what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you know, when somebody is dying of thirst, literally, hungry and dying of thirst, they will take no substitute. They will not stop until they can get a drink. You know, that's what the Lord would say to you. I want you focused. I want you passionate. I want you not passive. I want you to go after it. I want my people thirsty. I want them passionate in the sense that they're expending all of their strength seeking me, seeking God. Not just letting things happen as they will. They'll use that what's within their power to seek the Father. That their minds would be filled with the Word and their emotions transformed by the Holy Spirit. You know, some people would say, well, if God wants my emotions and wants my mind changed, He has my address. He can change them. Have you ever heard that? God changed me. You know what God says? No. The work that He has done, the work, it was done on the cross. The Lord would say, the work that I did for you, I want to do in you, but not without you cooperating with me. I want you to feel and understand so much more, but you have to hunger and thirst for me. God is such a gracious and gentle God. He will not force anything on us. He desires us to choose and to come after him. Hungry and thirsty. Church, you got to get a little hungry and thirsty. Next, mercy. The way we relate to people in mercy is that we are tender to people in their failure and we're tender to people in their need. The way we become tender with people's failures is by seeing how God is tender with us in our failures. And then Jesus goes on to say, there's a relationship between your tenderness toward people and the tenderness you'll actually receive. We just read, blessed are, those that are, mer- blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. You know what the Lord says? If you will give mercy, I'll give you mercy. Not only that, not only will Jesus extend mercy, but the people around you will be merciful towards you. How many of you need mercy? I need mercy. I do not want what I deserve. I don't want what I deserve. Number six, I'm almost done. Pure in heart. Again, I can't imagine seeing more of God in a greater capacity. You know, the, the cherubim and seraphim, the, those that are around the throne, get so awed by the presence of God that they just cast their crowns out off and they hit the, hit the ground. I believe it happens all day long, all eternity long. Because His presence is so great. Can you imagine? Maybe you've never experienced the presence of the Lord. I want you to know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you really commit to what we're going through here, you are going to experience God. 
You cannot go looking for him and not find him. We are going to find him. Uh, I did not put this in, our, uh, in my overhead, but Job said in Job chapter 31 verse 1, and I'm going to paraphrase. He said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look on anything that stirs up lust in my thinking. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look on anything that stirs up lust in my thinking. What is he saying? I have made a decision to avoid those things that I know I have a problem with. That is someone that is going after purity in heart. We need to make a covenant with our eyes and maintain the covenant. And if you fail in your covenant, don't fall into condemnation. Don't get guilty. Don't feel guilty. Call it failure. Recommit. Receive forgiveness. Push delete and fully commit again. How many of you uh, have started a, a New Year's resolution of working out and you make it two weeks and then you miss a day and you think, ah, if you miss a day, just pick it up the next day. Pick it back up. Have you ever done that on a diet? You've blown it and just think, the heck with it. I've blown it. I'm just going to forget it. No. You blew it. Come to the Lord. Lord, I blew it. You know I blew it. You know it's really in my heart to blow it. I really wanted to eat that cupcake. <laughs> but that's beyond. Lord, I recommit. Lord, I've battled with this kind of addiction in my life, this thing in my life. I've been trying for two or three straight weeks to quit. I've made it. I've done so good. But, Lord, I just fell. Father, I, I, I ask you to forgive me. I recognize that, and I'm not just going to fall off this wagon. I'm going to get back on, and I'm going to get this right. Please forgive me. And whatever, whatever repercussions from that day that I just blew it, Lord, I just ask for mercy. But I know you're a good God, and I know you're going to protect me, and I know your hand's upon me. You know I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to walk perfect in your love and your light, and I just blew it. Lord, according to your word, I come to the cross. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to remove that sin. Now I turn, and I desire to walk back in this commitment again. And you walk it out again. And if you fall down again, don't fall off the wagon. Get back on it. That's Satan's way of saying you're not any good. You tried it, but it didn't work. You're, you're really not that kind of person. You can't do this Christian walk. Forget it. Go back into this. It's a lot better anyway. You're going to lock your life a lot better anyway. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Get back on track. All right. I'll get back on track. Peacemakers. Person who invests time and energy and risk. That's a key word, risk, into healing broken relationships. All over our city, all over our nation are broken relationships. Inside family, outside family, with best friends. It happens every single week. Directly with me, indirectly with me, with you, with the church, with the world, everywhere. Blessed are the peacemakers. Who's going to make peace? It's my commitment, Lord, to make peace. Where don't I have peace in my life? And when people come to me needing peace, Lord, help me lead them into peace. As your pastor, that's my commitment. But as a Christ follower, that's your commitment. Somebody stand up. Finally, 
enduring persecution. This one's no fun. You know, when we take a stand for the kingdom and we lead someone to the Lord, when we pray for the sick and stand for righteousness, there is going to be a counterattack. And like Star Wars, the enemy will strike back. The enemy will strike back. And because what you're doing is moving in his domain, and we are taking things from Satan. And as we take things from Satan, you know what he does? He throws a fit and says, no, those are mine. Like a spoiled kid, mine. One of the first words a kid learns is no and mine. And adults never stop saying them. We never quit. No and mine. You know what we say? No, they don't belong to you. They belong to God. And we are going to invade this realm of darkness. And we're going to bring it into the light. And the enemy in a limited way can strike back. But I want you to know his time is limited. But there will be a counterattack. And Jesus is saying... Don't be offended. Don't be a victim. Don't quit. Matthew 5.19 says this, and then I'm going to paraphrase it as I close. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does, the, does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know what he's basically saying? If you'll do these beatitudes, if you'll do these things that Jesus is teaching us at the Sermon on the Mount, you will be called great in God's sight. You might not be called great by men of this age. However, when you stand before God, if you do these eight and you impart them, you take a stand for them, if you'll focus on them, if you'll invest labor into them, I'll call your dedication great in the age to come when you stand before me. If we do this, we will have a vibrant spirit full of light. You know, Jesus says about the lamp or the source of light for the body is the eye, the spiritual eye. Here's what he says. He says, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Your whole body means your whole person, your whole personhood. You'll have a vibrant spirit. If your eye is bad, you won't have a vibrant spirit. You'll have a dull spirit. And God says, that's what I promise you. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 will be our plumb line of what it means to walk out our walk with God, our jaywalking. Now, I want to encourage you. Will you make that commitment with me? We're going to go step by step in looking at how we individually, how we as a church are supposed to walk according to God's way. Will you all pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for clear direction. Lord, I know that there are people here today that need direction. Lord, your word says that you are not the author of confusion. But, you're, you're, but God, you're a God of light. You're a God of truth. And you're faithful. You would never leave us or forsake us. As we sang this morning, your love never fails. Father, I just ask for commitment this morning. Lord, that we would just commit 
to drawing closer to you as men, as women, as youth, as young adults, that we would make a commitment today. And Lord, part of that commitment is that we would get in your word and read your sermon, Jesus. Father, I just thank you that you are for us. You are for us, for you have great plans for us to prosper us. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I've never made that first-time decision. In his word, he says that if you will call on his name, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you call upon the name of the Lord? It says that if you will believe in your heart, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, would you make that commitment today? Just as easy as just saying, Jesus Christ, I am in need of a Savior. I'm a sinner and I've messed up. Will you save me? Come into my heart. Right where you sit, just, I just ask you just to pray that prayer. Church on the Hill, are you needing to make a commitment to the Lord? Are you needing to recommit your walk? I just ask you right where you sit, make a commitment. Decide today to begin to walk with Jesus commit to his word commit to his spirit walk with the Lord church on the hill walk with the Lord in Jesus name in Jesus name we will walk with you we acknowledge what you did on the cross for us Jesus and we acknowledge all that the, uh, the debt has been paid and that the provision has been made we acknowledge that and we receive that, but today, Lord, we decide, we make a decision to obey you and to walk according to your word. And Lord, as we do that, we just ask you for mercy and grace and for you to be faithful to your promises that you would bless us and you would protect us and you would empower us to be able to walk this thing out because we can't do it on our own. Help us, Jesus. Amen. Will y'all stand up with me and let's sing, a, let's sing a song with Miss Tammy. Those that are ministering with me, come on down. We want to pray with you this morning. I want you to know the presence of the Lord is here. The healing power of the Lord is here. I just ask you, step out if you need prayer at all. We want to pray with you this morning.